0: Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor of Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org. And contact us. We'd love to help. Amen. Take your Bibles turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we have been studying for a while now in a series. We've been calling Thinking Biblically, just talking and looking about Some different areas in life and different things and we've been talking for a long time about the conscience and how to interact with the conscience and we have uh, gotten to the point where now we are actually looking into specifics of how to see genuine biblical change. And again, why are, we, why are we taking so long to go through this? Because so many times people want to see biblical change, they'll go about it in the wrong way. They'll try to say, okay, need to accomplish it this way or need to accomplish it this way. By the way, before I go into that, because we won't have another service before then, uh, the, the, if you haven't gotten the uh, information for Brother Lawson's uh, services it's down Uh, In Charleston, it's going to be um, visitation at 9 o'clock and then the service at 10 o'clock at Northside. Uh, And so if you, uh, of course, many of you folks know them, if you have not gotten that information, if you have any other uh, questions about that, you can call and talk to the church office. I want to make sure and get that to you. But we've been talking about how to biblically affect change instead of just getting into a religious response to things. Because again, we've been talking about the fact that you can have different responses to God's word. You can have the irreligious response, which is, I don't care about God's word. Or you can have the religious response of, okay, I'm going to follow God's word so that God will love me. That is what most religions in the world have a basic different teaching that basically boils down to do what you should do and God will bless you, love you, Take you to have a new different things like that those are those are both wrong responses, but there 's another response there's a gospel response and it 's amazing if you talk to many Christians and you say, "Okay, how are you going to see genuine, genuine change they 'll usually say well you 're going to go to god 's word, find out what needs to be done, and you 're going to do it but again there 's a gospel response that that basically says, hey I, I, I want to keep the proper goals i want to I want to do things not just because they 're correct but because of the right gospel motive. With a simple illustration. I was talking to someone earlier today. I was talking to them, okay? If I were to ask you, okay, is it, is it right to smile at your spouse? Is that something that's right to do if you have one? Would that be a right thing to do? Okay, all right. So that's a right thing to do. Now, let's say that somewhere uh, in wherever you've learned that it's right to smile at your spouse. We don't have any smouses, hopefully. But if it's right to smile at your spouse, is it possible to do that with the wrong motive? Sure. Well, this is the right thing to do. Well, it could be the let's check a list off. Let me see. Let me get the smile in there. They are. Okay, we got that done. Okay, no, that's not what's supposed to happen. It's supposed to happen because of an inner response from within. It's the same thing with what God's word tells us. We are not supposed to do things because they're right. Did you ever think you'd hear somebody say that in church? Preacher, are you telling us not to do stuff because it's right? Yes, I am. That's not the motive that we're supposed to live by as a Christian. We're supposed to react to God's love to us and an expression to our love for him Then follow what he wants, not because he wants it, but because we love him and it's what he has asked us to do. Not because we're trying to impress him, not because we're trying to do it, but because this is our response, our love response to God. Now it's interesting because whenever you, what, there are certain areas that we're all okay with doing this, but there are other areas certain folks aren't okay with. And so there are certain things that are just right and you can't discuss things with them. And I want to challenge you. This is what we're talking about. How are we going to see real biblical change in this area? Because there have been areas, and I don't know everybody in this room to the extent to be able to say, I know your arena where you struggle looking at things from a gospel perspective. Because all of us probably have at least one or two things where we just say, it's right. And bless God, it's right. And if you disagree with me, you're wrong. And you better change to think like me because this is right and we don't think about the gospel response, and, the, and it could be any number of things, okay? In, in our particular uh, group of believers, uh, it could be any number of things that you look at, and I want, I want to challenge you, instead of saying, well, I know what's right, so I'm going to do it because it's right, it should, be, it should be a love response to God. But how are you going to see genuine change? Because there's two different sides, okay? If you have been doing something, because it's right, and just because it's right, and it's not from a genuine love response to God, or if you haven't been doing something that's right. Because on the flip side, all of us have areas that we know that, we're, that this is just right, and we don't think about it, and it's not a love response, but also, everybody in this room has besetting sins. Things that we try to get victory over, and we fail. And and, and maybe you've been stirred up at some time about maybe seeing this change or seeing this change. You say, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And and so based on your training, you will try any number different of things. Okay, well, this is right to do. This is what I'm going to do it. Maybe it's having devotions. Maybe it's soul winning. Maybe it's doing certain things. Maybe it's not doing other certain things. But we have this desire to want to do right. But because we're stirred up and we don't actually seek biblical change, we fail. Well, how can we see biblical change? Okay? glad you asked. Did I tell you to turn to 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy. Excellent. 2 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3. We're going to look at a very familiar passage that actually gives us a basic step, basic guidelines. Um, And and it has been so helpful. And the majority of this, uh, speaking to you about the conscience, the majority of it has come from Tim Bryant. Some of it has come from... Um, macarthur some of it has come from jeremiah some of it has come from uh the other things that i have read mclaren and the scriptures different things like that um and it's it's a wonderful wonderful thing a large majority of what we're looking at tonight is, is tim bryant on the low country biblical counseling center and it has been very very helpful but you're there in second timothy 3 look down at verse 16 you're familiar with this verse all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable and here are our four steps doctrine reproof correction instruction and in righteousness why that the man of god may be what's that next word what does perfect mean perfect means mature complete okay it doesn't mean that you can get to a point where you no longer make mistakes so if you study god's word enough you can get to the point where it's not that kind of perfect okay it's it's so that the man of god can be mature can be fully furnished in his faith. So here's how to see this four-step process. And I'll I'll give you the process, I'll give you the, the word, and then we'll just kind of flesh it out a little bit. Step one, okay, doctrine. What does doctrine refer to when we hear the word doctrine? Usually you think of doctrine class, but what is doctrine? That is a, it's a teaching, okay? So the first thing that we go to is we find out, okay, what does God teach about this? So the very first step, you're going to see. Now you say, well, Pastor, you just said a couple minutes ago that we shouldn't just do something just because God's word says it. Well, when I said that, I wasn't saying you don't do something that God's word says. I was saying that a lot of folks will just look into it and they will very, very surface look at something or they will have one of my favorite things is their verse. Well, well, the Bible says that, you know, I don't, I don't read a newspaper because the Bible says that somebody couldn't get to Jesus because of the press. Amen? So I'm against newspapers. Well, that's not really what God's Word is talking about there, okay? And, uh, and, and of course, I've seen other people with different um, uh, different verses that they will quote about, you know, hey, God has blessed you, so eat the fat, drink the sweet. Okay, so a high sugar, uh, high fat diet for me it's bible and uh, that's what we're going to go with because that's scripture, amen. And we're not supposed to go in and look for proof text for what we want to do. We want the whole counsel of God. We want to know what God's word teaches from beginning to end. And so you want to make sure that you go in there and say, all right, this is what this is what the truth is about this. And God's word is going to teach us the truth about God. We, we want to know what he thinks, what his opinion of it is, what, what, it, what it is about him that, that, that makes him think this way. So we're going through, and this is, this is not something that you're able to do quickly with your phone on Google. This is something where you're sitting down and you're saying, Lord, teach me about this from your word. Lord, we've had battles in the past in my family or in my church about translations. Teach me about translations from your word. We've had battles in my family and my marriage and with my children about this particular area. Teach me from your word. There's something new that has come up on the horizon we haven't thought about before. We, we, we didn't know, we didn't even know how to pray about cell phones 20 years ago. And now they're a dominating part of our life. i will say, God, I want to know what's right. What is it that we're supposed to do? Lord, help me to give me wisdom as I teach, as I study. You get in there, and you teach. And the first thing, as he teaches you truth about God, then he's going to teach you truth about yourself. And he's going to teach you truth about sin. He's going to teach you truth about circumstances, different things. And you're going to be able to try to get a, a picture of this. But the very first step is, Lord, teach. And you're coming to God and saying, God, listen, I want to know what you think about this. And the reason we want to know what he thinks about this, because that's what he's given us his word for, is so that we can know the mind of God. And so the word of God is profitable for doctrine, okay? So, step two, for doctrine, for reproof. What's reproof? Reproof is when, as we are studying and as we are reading and as we are looking and as we are uh, going and delving into God's Word, the Holy Spirit begins to convince us of the course of action that we should take. And we even have a whole area in the Christian life that we talk about this. With this reproof, they are our convinced areas. What do we call convinced areas? Our convictions. And so we look at this and we say, okay, all right. And as we're saying, again, we're looking at this. I I become persuasively convicted about this behavior, this thought, this whatever. This is where we get to remember in Romans 14, we're supposed to be fully persuaded in our own mind. This is what God has taught me. This this is what God has done as as he is convincing me. Now, especially when you are looking at that besetting sin, okay. When you are looking at that besetting sin, you have to take the time to stop, find out what the mind of God is on it, and then ask the Lord to teach your spirit, not just try to force it on yourself. I so often used to try to just power through sin. Well, I can do it by changing my schedule or by changing the this or by doing this, and I can get the accountability partners, and I can do that and that, and I can beat it. No, you can't. The Holy Spirit has to convince and has to convict you. And he has to show you that, 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 that truth. So for doctrine, for reproof, number three, okay, is the correction. This is where God says, okay, here's what you put off. Here's what you put on. Remember Ephesians 4? You put off lying and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind Now you know what God's word teaches. You have been convinced by the Holy Spirit. You've been convicted what is truth and what is righteousness. And now you know what to correct because I cannot lie anymore. I've been renewed in the spirit of the mind and now I'm going to put on what? If I'm no longer lying, what am I going to put on? Kindness? Truth. I'm going to speak the truth. And what what the Holy Spirit is going to do as he corrects, using his word, he's going to start showing you different areas where you're not being truthful, where you're not putting on truth. And you're going, wow, I've been deceptive in that area. Okay. And it's not a fiery evangelist that's convinced you. It's not some wonderful book that's convinced you. It's not some devotional that's convinced you. It's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, this is what needs to be corrected. Hey, this has not been truthful in your marriage, with your children, with your boss, with... All different kinds of things. And you say, okay, I'm going to do this. And then step four. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The more God's word instructs and convicts and corrects and reproves, the more we are empowered to respond correctly in future things that we have not yet even necessarily come up against. And so we get used to putting on, just using the same thing. Putting off the line, renewing the spirit of our mind and putting on truth. And the Holy Spirit begins to correct our personal interactions with different individuals. Okay, this and this. And then we get into a new situation that we haven't ever entered before. And some of you are going, Pastor, I mean, I haven't seen a new situation. And yes, you have. Let's be honest. You've never been this age before in your life. This is the first time you've been this old. This is the first time you've had all of these particular situations, and now, okay, now the Holy Spirit's going to begin to train and begin to direct and begin to say, okay, here's, here's what we're going to do. But this, often this particular step, not this particular step, but this particular process often gets stuck in one particular area, especially if it is with a besetting sin that you are trying to uh, uh, to work on. Take your Bibles turn to 2 Corinthians 7. At 7.52 we still got a couple minutes. Okay? 2 Corinthians 7. And what I'm going to talk about now kind of fits into somewhere between the teaching and the convincing. The doctrine and the reproof. But Often we never get past the convinced part. Can't tell you how many times I have I have counseled with individuals that are struggling with pornography. And why are you struggling with pornography? Well, they look at me like, What do you mean? Everybody struggles with pornography. Why are you particular? What is the thought process that you're going through that? And they, they look like, well, because it's tempting. It's well, what do you mean? And it's so hard. Or if somebody comes into my office and, they, and, and they're, they're mad about something that's happened at the church. And I'll say, well, uh, why are you angry? And they'll say, well, because, I, 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 because this happened in the church. And I said, well, yes, but I go to the same church. And I saw that that happened. And I didn't get angry. So it's not universal. So why did it make you angry? And they look at me. And they start to get angry. And they go, what, what do you mean? Because this wasn't this wasn't Correct. Well, why is it not, well, why is it making you angry? Why, why is this happening? And and so often this comes up or or somebody will come in and say, well, I can't put up with this man anymore. I can't put up with this husband anymore. I can't put up with this wife anymore. Why, why, why is this particular thing appealing to you? Look, if if you're open there, 2 Corinthians, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Now look down at verse 9. Paul says, now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye were sorrowed, To repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold the self same thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you. What clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what revenge. And I will talk to folks who say they have tried to get over this pornography. And I said, okay, when's the last time that you had this indignation towards pornography? When's the last time you had a vehement desire for purity? And they'll look at me and they'll go, what's missing? What's missing is godly sorrow. See, godly sorrow is specifically it's most easy most easily understood when you're trying to get over a besetting sin godly sorrow is what convinces you i don't want that anymore i want you to think about it for a second i want you to think about your absolute favorite meal in the world and your absolute favorite chef some of you that don't have a favorite chef or a favorite meal pretend go with it okay so you've got this favorite chef, favorite meal. And, and let's say that this favorite chef, favorite meal is in a really nice restaurant in New York. And, and for some reason, <laughs> I thought somebody was going to New York right now. I got a little nervous, all right? Okay, so this favorite chef cooking your favorite meal, I mean, this is your all-time favorites, whatever it is, all right? And so they're gonna cook it and, and you go there and, and somebody, somebody decides to, to fly you uh, to New York to, to be a part, and you're so excited, and you're walking around, and you go to this restaurant, and you walk in, and the chef is there, and, he, and you're seeing this famous chef, and they go, are you really gonna? He's like, oh, you're gonna love this. And they, they bring it out, and you see it, and you're eating it, and you just, you take that first bite, and it's just, it's like your eyes were open. It's like when Jonathan dipped his, uh, his staff in the honey. You just go, oh, wow, that's, man, that's just, and you're just blown away. And about halfway through, you think, you know, say, wow, well, I just I just need to just need to take a break a little bit and just kinda enjoy this. Don't want to just plow right through it and you're sitting there and I mean it's one of those fancy places that like just just puts thing on the on the plate that has no there's no really point to it. They just throw it on there and swoosh it all around and the plate's the size of a pizza pan and there's this one bite of food actually on the plate and they bring it out there and you're like, Oh wow, this is incredible. And you're sitting there and you're enjoying about halfway through the meal, you're just kind of taking a break, soaking it all in, you decide, you know what? I need to go to the restroom really quick. So you jump up, you go back to the restroom. And as you go back to the restroom, you walk past the, the kitchen. And you want to stick your head in it just to see how this chef works. And when you stick your head in, the chef is on his, uh, his uh, iPhone in the corner on Instagram. And he's got his sous chef. His under, he, he's doing actual all the cooking. And this sous chef, he's not famous. You've never seen him before, but you look over. And the first thought that comes to your mind is, He's just come from a murder scene because he's got blood and other things all over his clothes. And I mean, it's not just stained, there's like chunks of things on there. And some of them are kind of slowly sliding down the robe as he's going. And you're looking at that thinking, and then you're looking at the robe and you're about to ask what in the world is going on with that robe, but then you notice his fingernails. They're about a half inch long. Some of them are black, some of them are gray. Some of them are kind of thick, and some stuff is falling out from underneath them. And you think, hmm. Then you notice the open sores on his hand. And you realize that, that the little spattering that you hear is not the meat frying on the grill. It's those open sores that are dripping on to the grill, and it's... And you're wondering, how is his hair not catching fire? Because he's got four feet of this gloriously greasy hair that is swinging back and forth across all of the food that he's cooking. And you're sitting there at the end of the kitchen. Do you know what's just happened? You've just been reproved. How many of you are going back and sitting down and sinking your teeth into the second half of that meal? There's usually one person that goes, hey, it's paid for. So, all of us, our favorite meal, our favorite chef, and we think, oh, this is so wonderful, then all of a sudden we go back and we immediately are reproved. Because we see this, I don't know what you would call it. It's probably a felony in most states that's cooking your food. And immediately you are reproved and you are convinced. And what happens? You repent. What do you repent of? That dinner. How do you repent of that dinner? Do you come back and sit down and longing to look at it and go, I miss the days when a pus-filled cook made my food? You're repulsed by it. And the chef comes out and says, hey, we, we've come up with a new dessert we'd like to. Nope. Don't want the dessert. I don't. I don't. In fact, I don't. Need, I, I want to go back to this touchless whatever. Can I pay my bill without being any part of this restaurant anymore? I need to get out of here. Or you know what? I'm not paying the bill. I'm calling my lawyer because what you have done is actually against the Geneva Convention. It cannot happen. You all of a sudden you have repented. Why have you repented? Well, because of this. Sorrow that hits your heart when you saw the reality. Godly sorrow is simply seeing sin as God sees it. How do we see sin as God sees it? You see, it's not just, it's not just, repentance isn't just feeling bad. There are people in the Bible who felt bad. Saul felt bad when Samuel came to him and said, You kept these people alive. And he said, no, the people did it. And Samuel said, I'm out of here. And Saul said, I've sinned. Worship with me now. Samuel said, no. And Saul said, come on, please. And he pulled on his, and then it ripped. And then Samuel said, see how that's ripped? God's ripped the kingdom out of your hand. And Saul said, okay, okay, I'm sorry, I've sinned. Please, would you worship with me now? He, he, he was sorrowful, but he was not repentant. He was, he was upset by what was going on. Remember how Esau felt when he came in and said, Dad, here's your venison. And Dad said, I oh, gave the blessing to somebody else. Esau was sorrowful, but it didn't change. There was not a godly sorrow. There, it did not work to repentance. Pharaoh, Judas. The reason why you struggle with your sin is not the reason why you keep going back and you're stirred up and you say, oh, I want to change and I want to change. The reason that you've never changed is because you've never taken the time to study God's word to understand the mind of God about that sin. You've never been to the kitchen door yet and seen the reality of what it is. All you've done is seen it from your seat in front of the table and it looks very nice to you. We know it's deadly, right? Because it's sin. But Satan has, and our flesh has a good way of dressing it up to where when he puts it in front of us, we go, I kind of like that sin. That's, that's kind of neat. I, I kind of like to do that. But when you go to the kitchen and you see what that sin is, that godly sorrow picks up and it says, you cannot continue. And you repent. And you say, I'm I'm done with that. I'm finished. Listen, I used to struggle with anger. I used to struggle being an angry, angry person. I'll never forget, Day told me after, I think it was a couple years of marriage. On the day of our wedding, the day of our wedding, my dad went to her after we were married and said, Now, you know, David gets angry sometimes, loses his temper, but he usually cools down pretty quick. Day had never seen anything like that. And she thought, oh my word. We've already signed that paper. What do I do now? And she waited for something to happen. And I had a violent temper. And I thought, you know what? I need to change this. This temper is bad. Do you know why I had sorrow? Because my temper had gotten me into some embarrassing situations. And... It got me into the back of some police cars. It got me ushered out of a Christian school, high school game, like off the property. And I was kind of embarrassed. And so I said, you know what, I can't let people see this anger. So I pushed it way down so nobody could see it. And I would get angry, but I would look like this. And in my mind, I would be thinking of different ways that I could kill you. And I would say, oh, I understand. Okay. Okay. And I tore up my gastrointestinal system. Because I did not sorrow over it. I sorrowed over the effects of it. But then when I began to study God's word and became convinced of what the sin was, it became repulsive to me. Repulsive. And do you know what I did? I repented. I didn't finish the meal. I didn't even want to go back down and sit at the table. And until we have this, this godly sorrow that will drive us to this repentance, we'll never have victory over the sin. Now, there are times in our life in dealing with sin that you do have to go to extreme measures. That's why Jesus Christ said, if you're right, I offends you, what? Pluck it out. Some of us have been so far entrenched into certain sins, we need to actually physically make it difficult for us to sin. That, that's, a, that's a principle. Some people have named it radical amputation. It is not literally, if you have a problem with your eyes, that you pull your eyes out. It is that you avoid the situations where you find yourself sinning. For instance, in the, in we've I've mentioned this before today, in the particular instance of pornography, it's amazing to me how many people will tell me I am so overwhelmingly tempted by pornography. And I'll ask them, when's the last time you were tempted? And they will say, oh, a few hours. Nobody will say, two minutes ago. I'll ask him, how come you haven't been tempted by it in here? I'm like, well, well, preacher, I'm sitting in here with you. Radical amputation is removing those opportunities. It means, you know what? If you have to get rid of this, get rid of these. You know, you can live without digital screens. So get rid of it. Now, is getting rid of this going to protect you? No, this is... God thinking the way God thinks is what's going to change you but the radical amputation says okay I'm going to I'm going to have to do this some of you may have to switch jobs some of you may have to do any number of things but 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 Jesus Christ some people try the radical amputation before first going through the doctrine the reproof the correction and the instruction and do you know what radical amputation does radical amputation just makes you more creative to find ways to get to, because if you don't ever look at it the way that God looks at it, you will not repent. Godly sorrow is what equals that repentance. So that repentance is not tears, it's not weeping and wailing, it is when you go, no thank you. No longer tempted by that anymore. Running from that. You say, does that ever really happen? It does happen, we'll finish with this. Do you remember the story of King David when he was near the end of his life? The Bible specifically tells us that the king was unable to keep himself warm. So they went and found a young lady to go and be with him. And it says specifically that he did not have relations with her. Why did it say that? Because there was a time in David's life when there was opportunity was there. He would take the opportunity. And this time the opportunity was brought to him. But David had repented. We got to read about it in Psalm 51. He finally saw what that was. And it broke his heart. And he said no. And he turned his back on it. And so if you want to see what is going to happen in this godly repentance, you're going to be confronted by God's Spirit and you're going to say, Okay, because now I see the see sin the way God sees my sin, I'm not going to fall in the same way. Now, does that mean that you're never going to fall? Let him that thinketh, he standeth. What? take heed lest you fall so don't ever walk around going well i beat that back in the 50s because sin is always gunning for you you always have to put on the shield of faith the breastplate of righteousness the helmet of salvation you've always got to be dressed for battle you've always got to be careful but if you actually want to see this sin change if you want to see victory over this and maybe this is fighting in your marriage maybe it's Uh, a pride over a certain particular thing. Maybe there's certain areas that you've just kind of walled off and you said, okay, I'm just not going to go there and that'll, that'll help me avoid that sin. Okay, go back. Doctrine, correction, reproof, instruction. And if you're getting stuck, you're probably skipping over that reproof part and you need to go back in and say, okay, God, I need to sorrow over this. I need to see my sin like you do. First John 1, 9. If we confess, confess means what? Say the same. We've got some lawyers in here. If you confess to a crime, you're not allowed to make up something different. They say, did you murder the man? And if you said, well, I confess, we disagreed sometimes. That's not a confession. Confession is what you're saying I did. I did that. I confess to that. I say the same. And that is what often is missing from, because Christians want to just go, well, let me get to the redemption part without the godly sorrow without the godly sorrow that worketh repentance. All right, it's 809. Let's stand to our feet. We have been dismissed early. Write it down in your calendars. It does happen at Grace Baptist Church. Let's have a word of prayer, and you can use this extra minute any way you want to. You're the captain of your ship. Amen. Enjoy it. Lord, thank you for this time. Teach us, and Lord, encourage us with the truth of your word. We love you. Thank you. In Christ's precious name, amen. Amen. We'll see you Sunday.